0: Welcome to No Particular Hurry. My name is Dave Early. Today we're going to speak with a guest I'm a big, big fan of. He's the deputy editor at Billboard Magazine. He's a columnist for Rights to Ricky Sanchez as part of the If Not, will Convey as Two Second Rounders section of their site. He's one of my favorite followers on Twitter. And as a Sixers fan, uh, you can connect with him at AU, get off my Gold. He's a great, great writer. He's hilarious. And he's also quite good at predicting the future as someone who's followed his work over time can attest. So if you get his perspective on something, there's a good chance. If you don't agree with him the day he writes it, you will come around later on. I've experienced this firsthand. Without further ado, let's talk to Andrew Unterberger. How you doing, Andrew?
1: I'm doing great, Dave. Thanks for having me on here, man. Do
0: you like Andrew or do you like AU?
1: Uh, I'm fine with either. Uh, just don't make me say the, the, the whole phrase and I'm good. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um,
0: so what's on what's on your mind right now in terms of the Sixers? Like if you were just walking by yourself somewhere, thinking about Mm -hmm. the Sixers title chances and all these things in your head, what are you sort of dwelling on today?
1: I guess how much it matters that we haven't played like an actually consequential game of basketball in two months. Uh, You know, you, you kind of look back on it and. You know, you kind of get the, the you know, just just from living through all these games, it's it's not a secret that a lot of them have involved either the Sixers at, at compromised strength or playing an opponent at compromised strength. But you look back on it, and it really hasn't been since the All-Star break that we played a single game against a good team where everybody was kind of present and accounted for on both sides. I mean, that's a long time to go without playing like a real game of basketball. And, and, and so the fact that we haven't played any big games means we don't really have any big wins. We don't really have any sort of signature moments of the second half of the season. And it's sort of a weird thing going into the playoffs, feeling like you're basically playing a preseason schedule where you're playing a lot of these kind of bottom feeders and, and teams that have either already given up or are just sort of playing out the string. And you're trying to kind of gear up for what should be hopefully like a, a contending run at, at a legitimate chance of the NBA championship and you're, and you're playing teams that seem like they're playing a different sport almost than you are. And, <laughs> and not to say that we're plowing through the competition because we're certainly not. But the fact that we haven't played any teams that are sort of on the same level of aspirations as we are at full strength forever, and we're just kind of you know picking up wins where we can get them against these teams that have already sort of said goodbye to, to any actual season of consequence, sort of a weird thing. I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to gauge the team emotionally. I'm, I'm sort of an emotional... A uh, fan slash writer, so I I don't even really know where to pick up. What, what about what about you? Where where are you at right now?
0: It is it is weird. Um, definitely is not the most comforting feeling to think like the two biggest tests were, all right, go get a win in San Antonio, go get a win against the Pelicans at home. But those were the yeah, moments where it was like this is a huge game and you have to win it. And you're down. All of a sudden, you're like, I think to the Pelicans they were down by three after Alonzo's layup, and I was like, mm-hmm. Are they going to eat this out or is this going to be? Um I think was it you who had a, a funny tweet that was like this season is preseason, then the season, then summer league, and then the playoffs. And that's kind yeah, of and like-
1: that's that's what it's felt like. Like, I mean, we're playing these teams where you haven't even heard of half the guys in the rotation and like real teams too. I mean, it'd be one thing, obviously there's gonna be a thunder or two every year, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that too. But yeah, real teams like the Spurs and the Pelicans, who are at least ostensibly still in the mix for the playoffs. And we're playing them and, you know, they're starting guys who weren't first round picks in in, in last year's draft or guys who, uh, you know, would normally be sort of shuttling between the G league and the the proper roster now, but they're getting 25 minutes in these big games. And it it does feel kind of like, like, I don't know, like we should be getting hyped around this time of year, right? Like this should be the time of year where like, we're sort of building towards something that's going to, you know, eventually crystallize in the actual first round of the playoffs. And it, it feels like we're, you know, playing in Utah right now. You know, the, the, the summer league version of Utah, not like, uh, not, not like the actual the Vegas jazz version. Utah. But yeah. Vegas and Utah. It's, it's, it's wild, man. I I can't remember another season like this, where it just kind of, where instead of winding up to the season, where we're sort of winding up to the postseason, we're sort of winding down first. And then I guess we'll take this kind of week long hard restart for the play-in tournament. And then hopefully when we get back from that, it'll feel like the playoffs. It certainly doesn't feel like that now.
0: No, I, I agree. It's, it's weird. I think. So here's a quote. I think I found that you wrote this has been by nearly all estimations, the most meaningless regular season in modern NBA history. So I roll my eyes and I'm like, of course, this is the one where we're going to get the one seed. And we're like (laughs) wondering if it matters, which might dampen some of the vibes that we would get from this
1: locking up home court. look, we'll take it. I mean, it's, it's the one seed. It's what we wanted. I mean, like if you, Last year was certainly more dramatic. We certainly had more big games last year, and we ended up with the sixth seed, and that that obviously didn't go quite so well. So, you know, we'll we'll take the vibeless one seed, I guess, and just kind of hope that we start rolling once it actually matters.
0: Uh, Yeah, that's where I feel about it. Like, a lot of people wanted to see Zion play, a lot of people wanted to see all these guys. But if we did not wind up with home court, I would not love our chances. Like, if we were going to be at Milwaukee round two, or who knows, like, hosting the Heat, which could still happen anyway. But I think there's a lot of scenarios where I feel a lot less good than, than the one that they're in right now and, and healthy not
1: Yeah. I, I mean, the, the, ones he helps, like, like, uh, like I tweeted about this the other day, but like, I was so focused on av- avoiding the Bucks nets, second round matchups. And, and you, you also mentioned about the, the heat and whoever else ends up six, seven, probably is going to be a little bit scarier than whoever ends up eight. Like I, it's cool that we get home court throughout the East. Like that, that's a, a pretty big advantage for the Sixers. At least it has been the last couple of years. I mean, you know, we went a year without losing at the Wells Fargo center or whatever they're calling it now. I can't remember. Uh, so, I mean, the, the idea that we get to host a potentially big series there, that's, that's not insignificant.
0: Yeah. It's a big deal. I mean, I would, if they were to host the bucks, I think that would, that's close to 50, 50 series. Um, and I might give the Sixers the edge. If they were to host the Nets, I think I might think the Sixers were slight underdogs if everyone was healthy. But if they had to go to Brooklyn, if they had to go to Milwaukee, I wouldn't favor them. So I'll take it. All these games that we, we bemoan of, it's not a real test, I'm fine. No test till later.
1: Looks the same in the box score.
0: Yeah. Um, all right, so speaking of some of those scenarios and matchups, I know you wrote a piece saying the Team you would least like to face was the Heat, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, that was I can't remember, maybe a month, month and a half ago. Yeah. It's still mostly true, and you know, the Heat are kind of ramping up now, maybe. Uh, you know, TBD on that, it's they've had like three or four of these false starts of the season where it seems like they're kind of getting their shit together and then they'll lose three games in a row to nobody's. So maybe we're still due for another one of those, those bad stretches before the season ends. Hopefully, they, we play them, soon. they're at, but three.
0: And Jalen Brown is—he might be done for the year with a with a ligament. Did d- d- seem that way, yeah. yeah. And and they just sort of plowed over them the last time, and then they host Philly, and I'm actually not sure who's gonna bring it for that game. Is this gonna be one of those uh, Joel non-COVID illness games, <laughs> or they or are they gonna say, hey, we could we could either thwart them from getting the five seed? Or we want to let them win and not play them in the first round. There's all these weird type of uh, rooting interests in terms of the Heat.
1: Yeah, and the heat, the heat do still scare me at least a little bit, just because the, the, the Jimmy factor is still very strange to me. Like he has this sort of weird kind of like, uh, like a Sven type pull on Joel. It seems like sometimes, like he can kind of pull the strings there and 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 make make him do certain things that he wouldn't do otherwise, which really disconcerts me uh and they they match up fairly well with us and you know obviously they they weren't looking their best at the end of last season either and then they got into the bubble and playoffs and they turned it on and who who knows what their capacity still is there obviously the team seems you know worse this year it seems like it's off uh, you know the the the, the sort of mood is off there tyler hero's taking a step back uh you know duncan robinson maybe not as much either and like the, the the sort of contributions out of nowhere that they normally get from these sort of fringe guys on the rotation uh, still doesn't seem like they've kind of come together and, and, uh, and amounted to anything more than just, uh, you know, two stars and a bunch of so-so, you know, co-stars that said, I would, as you sort of mentioned, this, this could be sort of a big game for the Sixers coming up against them. It's the closest thing they're going to get to a real test, certainly before the playoffs properly start. I assume Miami is going to be playing most of their guys just because they still have something to fight for. So it kind of lines up nicely for the Sixers in that, ideally, if, if everything kind of went as we wanted to, uh, they'd be playing Miami uh, for the one seed. Basically, they, they, they could they could by beating Miami, hopefully playing at full strength, they could get like a real test out of it. They could clinch the one seed and they could knock Miami out of the four or five bracket. And that, it, you know, obviously, or they could lose spectacularly and, and suddenly we're not feeling great about this team at all going into the playoffs. But that would be the scenario I would like to see uh, with this team. You know, I'd like to see them try basically against Miami. I think that I think there's enough there that even with all the sort of, uh, you know, bad juju going around and the injuries and just uh, reasons to sort of shut everybody down until the games actually matter. I think this is the one game that you might actually want to pretend like it actually has some significance because it kind of does.
0: Yeah, I don't think either team have a back-to-back on that slate, so it's it's very possible that both teams really want that. If I were a Heat's fan, I, th-
1: I thought we I thought we have I, th- I thought we have uh, Miami and then Orlando back-to-back, but I mean the, the 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 second half of that against Orlando at home is basically like a you know it's a, it's a, it's free parking anyway. So I, I yeah, no, you're right.
0: right. I I meant that we would be rested for the Miami game. I think right, right, sure. Um, yeah, I think that's true. And I think they would be also meaning like. We might scratch like four guys if it was the second of a back to back. Um for but if I were a Heat fan, I would I would definitely want that five seed. I'd be hoping they get it because I think we could beat the Hawks. And then of the big three, I don't mind playing the Sixers. Um I mean maybe there's an argument to catch the Nets first before Harden's really in a groove. But I, I don't think I would uh be rooting for that.
1: Or maybe they feel like they have some sort of mental advantage on uh, on the Bucks after last year. Maybe they think they can kind of get in Giannis's head. I don't know. They did fire them really I well. want the Sixers? Yeah.
0: But now there's now there's
1: Drew and he's. he's... Oof. But I think I'm, I'm right. not looking forward to. Playing. What? <laughs> Sorry. I would not be looking forward to playing Drew in the in the, in the playoffs uh, for a variety of reasons. I don't want to have to root against him, but uh, he, he he's he's a terrifying defensive matchup.
0: Yeah, he's good. I think he wrote, like, he's not Damian Lillard in the half court, but he does make this team a lot better. And I, I agree yeah, with that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, and I think they have not yet had a chance to sort of, like, develop some chemistry. I mean, they're pretty new in one season. And like you said, a weird one. Yeah. They have room to grow. Yeah. No.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's impossible to gauge exactly who the bucks are going to be once the playoffs start, because they had these two kind of dream regular seasons and then underwhelmed in the playoffs. And now they've had a rockier regular season. And what does that mean? I mean, if, if we decided that didn't mean anything when they were good in the regular season, I guess we can not also say that it does mean something that they're bad when they're in the regular season. So uh, I, I, I don't know what to expect from them. I am very glad we don't have to face them until the conference finals of it all. So that, 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 that's, that's, that's good work by the Sixers to get out of that part of the bracket. And you, you have officially mailed in
0: your, your vote for Jokic. You're saying Embiid's not going to win MVP and you're fine with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, uh, what was going on before Joel Embiid uh, posterized Garrison Matthews and, and potentially ended a season, although he luckily ended up making it back, uh, I certainly was, was, was pulling for Embiid. I thought he deserved it. I thought at the very least it was a coin flip with Jokic and, you know, you, you weigh offense defense and you weigh uh, first seed in the East versus whatever he was fifth or fourth in the West. At that point, I thought that Embiid had a real case. My main concern was that it just didn't go to LeBron James because LeBron, you know, he's having a great season because he's LeBron James is one of the two best basketball players of all time. Uh, and he's still, you know, if not in his prime, at least, you know, close enough to it that being LeBron still matters. Uh, he was just not having the kind of same sort of statistical season that those guys were, uh, the Lakers were great, but they also had Anthony Davis and sort of top rank defense and all this other stuff. Uh, it, it, it just wasn't, it, d- it didn't feel like LeBron was a legitimate MVP candidate. It just felt like he was sick of people not voting for him. I and mean, he was kind of pulling his strings in the media to get people to be like, Hey, you know, who has not won in a while LeBron, like, let's talk about that on the ESPN broadcast for two and a half hours. It was a lot of that. And that would have been a fraudulent MVP to me. Jokic is legit. Jokic is having a historically great season on a team that would be, I don't know what they'd be in the East, but they'd at least be a top three seed. Uh, and you know, he the, the, the Nuggets are have persevered through incredible injuries. You know, I was, I was listening to a little post podcast and I, I can't remember who it was. It might've been Howard Beck said something about how the four conference finalist teams from last year are all basically having like miserable hell seasons this year between the Celtics, the heat, the Lakers and the Nuggets. And the only one of those teams that's still in play for home court advantage is the Nuggets. And it's because of Jokic, because not only has he been one of the best players in the season, but he's been healthy uh, enough to play out every game. He's been productive throughout. He hasn't kind of, you know, kind of come and gone. Uh, he hasn't, uh, you know, there's been no fall off And in, from a ridiculously hot start. And he's, he's doing things that we've never seen a big man do on the basketball court before. Same was true with Embiid. Embiid was having a historically great season too. But the fact that Embiid's going to miss close to 20 games, maybe 20 exactly, uh, means something. And the fact that uh, you know these last these last games since injury, I, I would have basically considered the race over by the time Joel got back anyway. But if he had gone on some otherworldly tear, and the Sixers had won 18 games in a row, and he had put up 35 and 15 every night, and they had beaten the Warriors shorthanded, and they took one from Milwaukee, and all this other stuff, then I, I would have at least had to consider that it was still an argument to me. And hasn't been great. Uh, you know, certainly still, you know, if this, had been, if, if there hadn't been that gap in the middle of the season, he'd still have a real candidacy, but he hasn't been as great as he was the first half of the season. It hasn't quite felt the same. He, he's he been a little erratic with his jumper. He hasn't really taken over games the same way. The kind of bigger games that he had a chance to really make a statement. He, you know, he, again he, he didn't know show, but he didn't really like put his foot down on, on any of the, the top level competition that they were facing. So to me, it's it's a sort of a pointless argument. Like Jokic has been about as good as Embiid and he's played 20 more games on a team that's just as good, basically, and hasn't been even more injury-stricken than the Sixers have. I think that the only reason to keep the argument up at this point is just because there's the only other thing to talk about is how shitty the season has been. So it's either <laughs> talk about how half the teams aren't playing and the half that are playing, uh, you know, only seven or eight of them are playing all their guys and they really care. Or talk about this manufactured MVP race. Let's talk about Chris Paul as an MVP candidate. Let's talk about Julius Randle as an MVP candidate. Like, let, let, Let's keep this imaginary drama going so we have something fun and suspenseful to talk about instead of how two out of every three nationally televised games suck this year because nobody's playing in them and everybody's hurt or injured or sick.
0: Embiid is shooting about the same since he returned, 47% between five to nineteen feet, I guess we call that mid range. And he was forty mm-hmm. six point six seven before the injury, hey. but his three ball went from like forty two percent down to thirty two percent. Is that I, I know he talked about like playing with the brace on and that impacted his jump shot. Um, if I had to guess, I don't know this for sure, but it does seem like he uh, he's more reliant on some of these like Dirk Dirk Nowitzki floaters. Maybe he's just sort of coasting. Maybe he just knows, like, I got marketing on me. This is a bucket. I'm not going to do anything crazy. But are you worried at all about the the post injury version of Embiid?
1: I don't really know. Uh, I think hopefully we'll have a better idea in the first round. It does seem to me. I mean, you, you read those numbers, and you're right. It's probably a, a lot of the way that when I say it doesn't feel like the jumper's been as automatic. It's probably mostly anecdotal. And the fact that, like he, you know he missed that potential game winner in regulation against San Antonio. And then he missed a shot in like the last minute against uh new Orleans. Like the, the just shots that, against that Phoenix
0: will go against uh, no, that
1: one. He made that one. I'm, I'm still saying <laughs> going in the record books. That counts as a make to me. You know, uh, he made that shot, tie game, Sixers winning overtime. But aside from that incredible shot that he made, that was historic. Uh he, It has felt like in the final minutes of games, it, it, it hasn't, he hasn't really taken over the way he did in earlier games against Utah or Miami, wh- whatever. I mean, again, that's all anecdotal. It doesn't really mean that much. What is more meaningful to me. Uh, and again, it might just be a, a regular season end of the end of the schedule blaze thing is that the defense kind of comes and goes. Now uh, it, it, there are a, a whole quarter sometimes where it feels like he's kind of playing at half speed where he'll kind of let guys kind of cruise over for so He'll have like a late contest two points, go back down the other way. Like it, there's a lot of that. And I think that's partly the reason why we've had some of these games that haven't that, that, that should have been kind of out of reach for these subpar teams, you know, 15 minutes in. And instead they're okay. They're down 10 when maybe they should be down 20. Okay. Maybe they're down 15 when they should be down 30. And then all of a sudden they get back into it in the third quarter and Holy shit, we've got an actual game here. And it's not just, it's not just Joel by any stretch of the imagination. It's it's most guys on the team as I from Matisse, who only, only sort of knows one speed. Uh, and I think you could probably say that it's, it's a matter of just kind of conserving energy both because Joel knows jo, – jo, the other thing about Joel's MVP campaign is that he's still try, he still thinks he can win, and he's still trying to win at every, at every opportunity, and he knows he's going to win it with offense, not defense. So he's still trying to put up his 30 and 15 every night, and so he wants you know he knows a lot of these games he's only going to be playing in 25 minutes anyway, so he wants to get his numbers while he can. So he, he focuses on that end, defense, you know, he'll make great plays here and there, but it's, it's not the same sort of locked-in, shut-down Joel that, that we know he's capable of being – so it does seem like that's, that's sort of his MO uh, these last 15 games or whatever. Uh, I think there's also reason to believe that he can turn it on when he wants to. Like, I, I, the reason why I've never felt truly petrified about them not being able to pull out these games against these, these non-contenders is because it does seem that even at their worst, the Sixers can still get stops when it matters. And they, I mean, not, not always. You know, they're not going to you know, hold teams scoreless for the last six minutes of a game. But when it comes time to actually crank out the defense, defensive intensity, and it comes time to really like show what they can do on defense, they still seem to do it, and the bad teams can't really hang with them. Even some of the good teams can't really hang with them. But if you have like Devin Booker or Damian Lillard, sometimes you just have guys making incredible shots, and there's nothing you can do about that. But these these crappy San Antonio, New Orleans teams gets down to the final minute, and the Sixers are actually playing at ten. There's not really that much they can do, and so it, it doesn't. It's it's not like I'm worried that. Joel just isn't at the same level that he used to be. But the fact that he's not playing like that regularly and the fact that he's, there's maybe been a like 10% less magic to a season than there was in the first 30, 40 games. I don't say I'm worried, but I'd prefer if, if it wasn't like that, I'd prefer if he was still, you know, MVP Joel every night for 48 minutes. So I don't know. we'll, we'll see in the first round.
0: Yeah. I mean, the one thing that I guess I, does scare me a little bit is going from 42% from three to 32%. from three. If that's four or five in the last two games though. Oh, okay. So maybe he'll just get back there. Maybe he just had to get used to without the brace. Maybe it's just a tiny sample and it means nothing.
1: Yeah. I I mean, he, uh, I I also share those concerns. And I, what what concerns me more than I'm not making them is him not shooting them. And those often go hand in hand. He'll miss one early and then he won't shoot another one until the fourth quarter. Uh, But it does seem like him shooting, you know, he's never shot, I don't think above 35 or 36% for a season from three. So him all of a sudden shooting 42% all season probably was going to regress at some point anyway. So maybe this is just that, as, as you kind of alluded to there. But yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him shoot with a little bit more confidence at the very least. Uh, and you, there's more of a chance of him shooting with confidence when he's when he's got that 42% average. So uh, I, I hope he can, can kind of continue to get that back up in term, before the playoffs, because I think he is going to have to be he has have to be willing to shoot those threes, especially against the Nets.
0: You talked about like, it's almost like they're doing these hockey shifts where it's like the starters play hard and they run up a 17 point lead. And then they sit hopefully for the rest of the game and the bench guys come in and blow mm-hmm. that lead. Um, what are you, what are your feelings when that happened? If it almost feels inevitable now, like they're up to 17 and then doc brings in Mike Scott, shake George Hill, <laughs> Dwight Howard, and you just know, like, this is going to get really ugly really quickly. Is there a way to avoid this? Why are they not trying to? Is this just about uh, getting uh, the playoffs healthy?
1: Yeah, I think it's mostly just about getting into the playoffs healthy. I think he's he's making, Doc's making a very concerted effort not to play Ben, Joel, Toby, even too many minutes a game. And it seems to me like these bench units are a way to kind of a save minutes for those guys B maybe get a little bit better chemistry with some of the bench guys maybe get their confidence up a little bit get them some reps and games that matter you know as much as any games matters right now uh i think mm-hmm. it's all of that and i don't think we'll see that much of it when the games actually do matter i mean i'm, I'm hardly the only person to suggest this but I, I think at that point uh you'll see shorter rotations i mean you, you certainly won't see any mike scott uh Thank God. Uh, and you might not even see that much shake, maybe not that much Furkan. And, and Furcon, we've missed him actually surprisingly a lot while he's been out with this uh, this ankle tweak. It seems like uh, the, the, the shooting that he provides, that second unit really, really makes a difference. So it'll be good to have him back. But yeah, again, he'll, he'll probably have a short leash in the postseason. It'll probably be, you know, George Hill, Matisse, and Dwight getting regular minutes no matter what. Although Dwight Dwight's going to have some issues in the playoffs too. But th- 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 those will be the three guys that are kind of locks. And then you can kind of fill in with Shake and Furkan and maybe even Tyrese Maxi uh, as, as the situation requires. But none of those guys are going to be playing a lot of minutes because that, once once the playoffs start, we will get 38 minutes a night out of Ben and Joe, maybe even more games that really matter. And uh, you know you'll, you'll see more of Tobias anchoring the second unit, which we've seen been been pretty successful so far this year. Uh, and so you know the the bench unit, and 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 it's also worth noting that the bench. was great for a stretch of the season, you know, that, that stretch when, uh, when Joel was out for 10 games, if it wasn't for the bench, really stepping up, uh, that, that, that entire stretch would have gone a lot worse than it, than it did. You know, we ended up winning seven out of 10 and that's in that stretch. And it was mostly because of the elevated play of guys like Dwight and Matisse and and Furkan. Uh, and so I, I don't want to, I feel like we maybe focus a little bit too much on, on the games where the bench kind of lets up because that's what benches do sometimes, uh, but I, I, still think that, it, I don't, I don't think it's like a weakness of the team. It might not be our greatest strength, but I don't think it's a weakness. And I don't think it's an, a glaring weakness. And I think the exposure of that weakness is going to be pretty mitigated once we have shorter rotations and Ben and Joe are playing more minutes.
0: I, I am curious. Cause I tend to agree with you on all that. And I think it'll be less of an issue when these guys are playing bigger minutes, but we saw at the end of want to say the Pelicans game where doc put George Hill and Ben Simmons out there together. And I thought that's such a natural thing to do. Like I could see George Hill in some of these closing lineups, but George Hill's been here. Uh, He's logged 191 minutes or so. No, Ben Simmons has logged 191 minutes since George Hill came on board. 180 of them have been with Joel, but only 17 with George. So I find that weird. Like I would think you might want to rely on some Ben Simmons and George Hill lineups in the playoffs. If you do need to buy a blow for Joe, but they're not getting a uh, reps really.
1: Yeah. And I think if, if there's one Chris criticism, you do want to levy at doc. That's a fairly legitimate one is that he isn't really experimenting with some of those lineups as much as maybe he should be. I mean, I don't, I, I, I also, I sort of share my, you know, those, a spike at the spike of the rest Ricky Sanchez's attitude that, you, you can't really overanalyze coach rotations because they know things that you don't, uh, and they know kind of the human factors that that we don't, uh and I I, I do sort of think that there, there's unseen things to what he's doing that I don't want to get too particular about. But yeah, I mean the thing that really worries me, and and, and you know, your your concern is, is valid as well, but the thing that really worries me is what do we do when Dwight Howard gets played off the floor against Brooklyn? I don't think we have an answer to that question. Uh, I think the Mike Boxing Scott certainly is a viable option. If Maybe, they, yeah. If they put Brooke uh,
0: Brooke out there and pull him away from the rim.
1: Or or they go small with Giannis at the five. Like it's it's you know, if if Dwight's not an option, Mike Scott certainly isn't an option. Anthony Tolliver hasn't shown me anything to make me think he's an option. Paul Reed is one, if not several years away from being an option. Ben at the five didn't work against Toronto, has worked sort of sometimes when they've done it this year, but they haven't done it much and they haven't done it for long. So I don't think that like when Dwight gets played off the floor, I think you just kind of have to grit your teeth through those minutes and hope that instead of being a minus eight, every time he takes the floor for Joe, he's a minus four. And that's still not a great feeling, but we don't really have a backup option. And part of that is on Maury for not really getting us that stretch five that everyone was calling out for all year. I understand why that happened the way it did, because he was conserving assets just in case we got, you know, the last second offer on Lowry. You thought maybe we'd have a better chance in the buyout market, just didn't break our way. I don't know. But it's also sort of on Doc because he hasn't really shown much creativity in those minutes in terms of trying out Ben at the five, maybe trying out Toby at the five, maybe do, doing any sort of con- configurations besides just going to the security blanket of Dwight, who's been awesome this season. He's been great. He's been as good a backup center as we could possibly have hoped for after a very, very rocky start. He, he is really, and against these, these kind of crappy teams, he just, he looks like an eighth grader, but uh, a bunch of sixth graders out there. He's been awesome but he's not going to be that way for the entire playoffs. Just, there's, there's just no way there's going to be matchups where it just doesn't make sense to play him that much. And we don't really have any other good options.
0: It's the, such a deja vu from where we're having these same conversations really? about Boban. Isn't
1: it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, or Greg Monroe or yeah, Amir yeah. Johnson, Kylo Quinn. Like it's, it's a long cavalcade of Sixers backup centers that can't hang against the best teams in the postseason. And you think – I mean, they they solved a lot of things this year, so you don't want to give them too much shit for not getting, you know, the eighth man out of ninth threat correct, but it could be a problem, and it could be a real problem, and we're going to see it one way or the other. You tweeted
0: that you want to see more Matisse with the starters. On the year, Matisse is, I think, a plus 3.8 overall, but when he's on with Simmons and Embiid, that rockets up to, like, plus 10.4. Um, their effective field goal percentage allowed, like what they allow other teams to shoot, is 50, which would be like OKC Orlando bad. How come you think we don't see more of that? Because that's like such great defenders all over the court.
1: Yeah, uh, and I I can't remember if it was you or, or somebody somebody else definitely pointed this out to me, which is an obvious point, which is that Simmons plus Matisse on the court at the same time really kind of limits your options offensively in terms of spacing and Uh, shooting and uh, all that good stuff that we have had and which has really made life easier around Joel and made our offensive numbers across the board a little bit more palatable than they have been in years past. But it is something I think we're going to have to see at some point, at some point in this playoffs, especially against Brooklyn, maybe against Milwaukee too. We're going to need to have our three best defenders on the court for long stretches together. And that is, I mean, and, 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 Matisse isn't number three in that discussion either. He's number two, maybe possibly number one at some points. I mean, depending on the matchup, I think he might be, end up being our most valuable defender against Brooklyn. Cause he can just do things against these, these shifty perimeter guys that nobody else, including Simmons can really do. So we're going to need him on the floor of the starters. he, he sort of is the key to unlocking the team's kind of defense first fast break oriented identity, even though he's still you know, miffing alley-oops on the break. Hopefully we won't see too much of that in the playoffs, (laughs) but the key, the best version of this team, I've always believed has Matisse and has Matisse playing heavy minutes. And, you know, that, that is going to involve some offensive sacrifice. And it's not, uh, it's not insignificant either. I mean, Danny Green has been awesome on this team this year. His, his stability from the corners has been outrageous. He, he has been not as embarrassing as a sort of off the dribble pump and drive thread. I mean, he's still not something you, that's still not something you ever want to see. But it's not quite as you know hide your eyes as it was the first couple of months of the season. But there's going to be minutes where the upgrade of him to Matisse defensively is worth the downgrade offensively. And I would have liked for us to get a little bit more of a sense of what that looks like and how that works before the games are suddenly the most important games of the year.
0: You wrote. Uh, and of course, Ben Simmons' 42 point explosion in Utah served as one of the season's most memorable performances thus far, a career night that seemingly recharged Simmons' batteries for the rest of the season's first half. Uh, this feels like it's like 30 years ago. This is <laughs> mid, mid February. At least 20, yeah. um, mm-hmm. And we just haven't seen the usage there. Like the half court composition for Ben is quite different. I know they went into that game. I think they did not start Dwight, so they had Mike Scott out there, and Ben was just like, all right, the paint is open. I'm going to go right at Gobert. And now I watch full games three in a row where he walks it up, he hands it off, he sets a little pick, and then he goes to hide to the dunker spot, and Joel can't hit him even when he's open there. And I'm thinking there's some sort of – like they have this terrific plus net rating with that, that lineup, but something's missing, and maybe if Ben were to stagger with Joel a little bit, maybe he could get some of those Utah-like looks where he's tempted to be aggressive or encouraged to be aggressive. Something's weird that we that we never see it.
1: It's yeah, you're you're definitely right that something's weird there. I mean, it's Ben Simmons. Something's always going to be weird there. I mean, he he <laughs> weird. is. I mean, I've I've had I don't know how many arguments with your guy Dan Olinger about this, but he he's the weirdest guy in the NBA and he makes the Sixers weird just by his presence. And you also had Dwight and Danny ranked as weird, right? Oh yeah. No, I mean like it's, it's a, it's a historically weird team one to 12, (laughs) but or one to 15, I guess now, but, uh, but, but but Simmons was, is always going to be the leader of the pack there. Yes. But, uh, as for, I mean, that one game in Utah, that's, I think that's just an aberration. I mean, we, we, can, we can look at it and be like, why can't he be like that all the time? It's just not going to happen. And, and I, I think we were, we're wasting mental and emotional energy, hoping for it, hoping we see that guy again. I, I think it that was like a, a sort of perfect storm of Joel's out. Ben kind of gets going early and that's very key with Ben. He's sort of like Joel from three, but that's Ben everywhere is that once, if he makes the first couple and especially if he's hitting from the free throw line. Then he'll be aggressive for the rest of the game. He misses a couple. He clanks a couple of free throws early. We might not see him again until the fourth quarter. But it, it was sort of like he got off to a, he got off to that ridiculously hot start. Uh, he was playing without Joel, and the team just sort of needed someone to be that guy. And they were playing Utah. And I don't know. I mean, I sort of know what it is with Utah. I mean, the, the him and Donovan Mitchell thing. I think that's a real thing. The Embiid and, and Gobert. That's a real thing too. Those now teams now just don't seem to Gobert like each other. Buying for DPOI. Sure, sure. Yeah, so so Ben certainly got more to prove against them than than any other team. I think even even including the Celtics at this point, the, the, the pettiness is just off the charts with that matchup. But I don't think we're going to see that Ben on a Tuesday night game in New Orleans. It's just not. That's just not him. And but if I if I could he, push I, back
0: on that a little bit, I think you've actually sure. talked about the other like the game on MLK Day a year ago. That was yeah. one of Ben's best games, and the situation was similar in that he got to play. You know, most of the game with Mike Scott and, and Al Horford and another one of his best games was like with Urson. So sometimes when Joel's out and they do stick out uh, jo- Jonah Bolden in the lineup in Oklahoma <laughs> and it was like the Ben and Tum- you, know. Jonah. um Jonah. So some of his best games are with a stretch five when he just gets the ball and gets to attack.
1: Yeah, no. And, and I, I certainly have extremely fond memories of that Brooklyn game. Uh, and we did see that. and We saw that Ben probably for the longest we've seen him in that stretch early 2020 when Joel was out. Toby wasn't really producing at the sort of level he is this season. And they just kind of gave him the ball and said, go, you know, go do your thing. Uh, and that, that was the best I think I've ever seen Ben Simmons play. And I don't totally I don't I don't totally want to blame it on Embiid that we don't see that more often because I there have been plenty of games this year without Embiid. I mean during during that seven and three stretch that I mentioned earlier when, when Embiid was hurt, it wasn't like Embiid took off like a ro- or it wasn't like Sims took off like a rocket in, in, in Embiid's stead. It was just the bench kind of elevated their play, guys were hitting shots. Simmons was doing his thing, but they were winning games without him by 32, where it's just where Toby was kind of the offensive fulcrum. So it, I think actually one of the good things about this season—I think mean, I tweeted this before—but uh, one of the good things about this season is that it sort of has dissuaded me, at least, and I, I think most people who have watched, of the notion that the only thing needed to kind of unlock Simmons' game is to get away from Embiid, because we've seen him be the exact same guy with and without him. Would we see it more often if if they staggered the minutes more? It's possible, but. I don't, I, don't, I don't like betting on, on things with, with Simmons to make him react a certain way. I mean, uh, he's he's proven very unpredictable throughout his entire career in this regard. And I don't think that the brighter lights of the playoffs are necessarily going to be the thing that brings it out of him either. So, I mean, st- stagger the minutes more, sure, but not not when it's with Dwight Howard because that doesn't help him either. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the the minutes that he's played with Dwight Howard on the court have been... You know, the, the numbers aren't great there. I don't have them offhand, but plenty of people talked about them being pretty pretty mediocre too. So I, I wish we had Al Horford or Arson Elias over for these occasions. I think that would be great. Uh, and hopefully if the Sixers come up short this year, that'll be a priority for the offseason. But I don't think we're going to see that Ben before then.
0: Yeah. It, it feels like, I don't know. I get, I get stressed. Cause I'm like, I know Ben has more. And in the season you, I like to blame maybe doc, Right now, I'm like, oh, you know, Doc, you should be running some more plays for him. You, you had some great, great spread floors for him against Atlanta. And he just waltzed right by his man and dunked it. There were some games where they were forced to use these non-Dwight Howard with Ben lineups against the Lakers. And uh, and Ben looked pretty good. And the Bucks too. They rattled up like a 20-point lead against Milwaukee. Um, of course, they lost that game. But still, in doses, you got to feel there's some sort of ceiling they're not tapping for these um, Ben on shooters around him minutes or whatever. But if it, we get to the off season, then I'll start to turn. I'll be like, it's not doc. It's on Ben. It's on Daryl. <laughs> <We gotta, laughs> it's gotta be someone's Darryl, fault. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, all right. For so, sure. and, and uh, there's always, yeah. sorry, there's, there's always going to be a little bit of an enigma with Ben. I think like, Again, this this is just the, the sort of contradictory player that he is. And that I don't think we're ever gonna get to a point where we just turn the key and he's unlocked. It's always gonna be a little, little bit of this sort of, oh, he looks amazing for 10 games. Oh, what's Ben doing these last three games? He hasn't looked like himself. Oh, he's getting back to the old Ben. Coach just says he needs to be more aggressive. And it is just it's gonna be a, just a non non-ending feedback loop with him. And 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 we're never we're never gonna settle on exactly who Ben Simmons is or should be. And we're always gonna end up wishing there was a little bit more you just hope that what we get is good enough to, to, to make the difference. Do you
0: think there's something to the, uh, the field goal percentage, uh, the free throw percentage? Do you think when he's struggling at the line, he really wants to go there less?
1: Yeah, it's hard to say like, what's the cause and what's the effect there. Uh, certainly when he's playing well, his free throw percentage is up and vice versa. Uh, it, it definitely, like the, 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 be, the really good stretch he had this year, he was shooting something like, I don't know, 73, 75% from the line over that, whatever, that 10 game period where he was kind of on fire. And you, you don't know if, I mean, I, I think it's probably safe to assume at this point that one kind of feeds into the other when he's playing well, he's more confident at the line. When he's hitting his shots at the line, he's more confident at the field and it all kind of feeds into each other and, and makes him an all around better player. But when he clunk, when he, you know, he, 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 he misses a couple badly early, and he's less hesitant to get fouled later. It means he drives less, means he's less aggressive, means he's less confident at the line when he goes back there again. Like it, it, It's all no, – nothing is ever separable from anything else when it comes to Ben Simmons. It's all part of one kind of perplexing package. So I, I, I do think there's there's a little both cause and effect there with the free throw percentage and his aggressiveness in general.
0: All right, there's a little uh, Twitter debate going on today where Dallas is coming after uh, Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer. Kevin O'Connor did not put Joel Embiid on his first-team All-NBA roster. Uh, He he went on a sort of – I'll just read one of the things he said. Embiid probably would have made the first team had he not missed so many games. He slides to a forward spot on the second team to make room for Clint Capella. He played – and I'm thinking – but he put Kawhi Leonard on the first team who's only played one more game than Embiid. So if we're penalizing – and I think Daryl sort of came after him. I forget what he said, but he basically said like This doesn't make sense. If Joel's eligible to be a forward, and you're putting him on as a forward, how come he's not on your first team? If he's your second overall MVP
1: candidate, which he was for Kevin O'Connor. Yeah. First off, I mean, I do think that like I'm team Joel as a forward is stupid anyway. Like I don't, I don't. I mean, I, again, like I appreciate like Joel conning his way onto the first team as he as he very well might end up doing, even though. By any stretch of the imagination, he has played what, like those 10 minutes he's played with Dwight Howard? Maybe he was a forward then. Well, what about uh, you? But aside from that, you. I mean, I haven't looked at the numbers with Jokic, but I don't see a lot of twin tower lineups that Denver runs out either. Like, I don't think he's playing next to Isaiah Hartenstein. Suddenly they're spacing, you know, Jokic out to the four. It I, seems. Just, I just mean like sometimes yeah. you'll see Fernando
0: Compazo get a rebound. He's like 5'10", and just give it right to Jokic <laughs> to bring it up 90 feet. I'm like, is he a traditional player? Yeah, kind so, so, of
1: so, 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 as a guard, I guess. Or, or just, just eliminate positions altogether and have it be the five best guys. I mean, this is this is a tired argument that I'm making, so I don't I don't want to get too bogged down in it. But it's stupid, but whatever. If you may, if, I'm not gonna, I'm never going to complain about Joel Embiid accomplishing anything because I want all, only the best for him always. But it's stupid that we're counting him as a forward. That, but, that, but that being said, if you're going to count him as a forward, count him as a first-team forward. He's been one of the five best players in the league this season. I don't judge MVP the same way that I judge All-NBA. I don't think most people do. Most people factor a lot more of the kind of intangibles and games missed and stuff like that into MVP voting than they do into All-NBA. That seems logical enough to me. If you're going to count Joel Embiid as a forward, have both him and Jokic on there, and I don't even care who the other three guys are. Those have been the two best guys this season. Uh, I don't know. Was was a second part of that question. I don't even remember. No, it. no, they, they, these are,
0: these are tired debates, but I guess what I was feeling was when I read your post about you basically just said like, it stinks that Joel's not going to be the MVP cause it would have been so great. And like, he was on, it would have
1: been. Sucks. Yeah. I mean, like we, we've talked about this before on the Ricky is a spike and my cap. Certainly. Uh, Joel winning MVP is basically on par with the Sixers winning a championship to us. Like it's, it's like that because he is the process because he is the guy who's kind of been with us through thick and thin. He is the sort of one man personification of the, of the Sam Hinkie era and post era. Uh, he is the guy who we care about. Like, I mean, the, the, these other guys on the team, I mean, I, I certainly developed my attachments to a number of them. There's nobody on the team that I dislike, which is sort of a rare thing for me in the Sixers, but Embiid's the guy. And Embiid is the guy who we want good things for more than anybody. Uh, including ourselves a lot of the time so we did for, for mb to win the mvp it would not only be like cause for celebration and you know throw a parade on you know going on south road street if you want but uh it, it would be a validation just of the entire process i mean in the, in the entire operation since sam hickey took over and B being unquestionably the best player in the nba for an entire season i mean that that's I mean, we, we we don't need a lot more validation at this point to prove that we were right. I mean, you don't need we are to get still into arguing Covington about this every two days. Right. <laughs> no, I mean, and, and like that's all great. And and like look, we we certainly go like 50 deep with our arguments as to why we were right, uh and, and we can pull them all out if we need to. But Joel Embiid winning MVP, I mean that's that's front and center. That's 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 number one. That's 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 top on the on the resume. Uh so for him to through no real fault of his own, but just because his, his zeal for posterizing Garrison Matthews was a little bit too great one, one Friday night in Washington uh, for that to be the, the, lone thing standing between him and an MVP that would be rightly his, not even like, Oh, we're Sixers fans. We want our guy to win, but like, it should have been his. Yeah. That stinks. And I, and that, and so I understand why there's some Sixers fans still on the MB for MVP bandwagon. I see that it's, it's a lost cause at this point, but I, I understand why they're still pushing for it, but Again, like, and it doesn't really matter at this point, we've basically made it to the end of the season, but it, there was a point where I was really worried about Joel just overextending himself, playing too many minutes, playing in some games he shouldn't have, which which he did uh, in, in that that kind of four-game block before he, he sat that last game against Milwaukee. There were games where he really shouldn't have played. and But he said, no, I got to be that guy. I got to go after my team. I got to kind of keep the narrative spinning. And that could have really, really hurt us. That could have been a really, really bad thing that we all look back at and like, man, I wish we hadn't put on so much pressure on him to keep- keep going out in there and getting his numbers just to, to you know, keep, keep the, the the flames burning of this MVP race. It's basically over anyway. Uh, hopefully Wouldn't we've avoided it just, that like, knock we, on wood. It basically happened in
0: 2019. He came out, he was, he was not like a favorite like he was this year, but he was in conversations for MVP. Sure. I saw you had that funny tweet about dominoes. Like why do we always have to talk about who's <laughs> in the conversation? If you're ordering pizzas, <laughs> does someone have to Get say, well, the, should, shouldn't dumplings be
1: in the conversation for tonight's dinner too? <laughs> but in this It's just so transparent at a certain point. Like It's like, it's over. Like Just admit that it's over. It's okay that it's over. It sucks that Joel didn't win. I wanted him to win. I wanted him to win, him to win more than anything, but it's over. And it's over with all these other guys too. And just because somebody has one big game on a, on a Sunday afternoon on, a, on ABC or whatever – it's over. Like Jokic just won it. There's nothing left that could happen at this point to change that. And all all you're doing by continuing to pretend like it's still a race is a potentially getting in Joel's head and making him disappointed when he doesn't win and potentially hurting himself trying to win it and B just just keeping this this fucking bullshit on ESPN going like it, I didn't it's, turn it's, on
0: first take today but I have a feeling there was some <laughs> Julius Randle stuff
1: <laughs> oh, I guarantee there was, and he's had a great season. Sure. Talk about him at all NBA talk about him for most improved player talk about him for, I don't know all defense. If you think he's worthy, but he's not an MVP. There's one MVP. It's Nikola Jokic. It sucks, but it is like, that's what it is. Just, let's, 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 let's move on to the next thing, even though the next thing is even worse. Like, and, and, and they it, took, it, it's time to find a new shitty argument to have. They
0: took Jeremy Grant who's in line for potentially most improved with Randall um, just over Jokic in the second round. I joke once in a while that like Sam Hinkie's biggest problem was just not taking <laughs> enough centers. He just needed to take like twelve centers. He would have hit Jokic.
1: Um, <laughs> what about this? That, is, that? Is wild to think about, or, or or playing Jeremy at center when we had him? Although that 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 might have been a little bit too ahead of its time.
0: Yeah, that too. We we could have figured something out. Um, but the the tanking debate has resurfaced. You said Joel winning an MVP would have like been the perfect you know, come up and for that. It's back. What do you think of it being back now that the Thunder like tanking again, like they were back in 2006?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you have a problem with what the Sixers did, you should have a problem with what OKC is doing. I don't think there's any question there. And, and they've been very transparent about it from the beginning of the season. I remember I was on a podcast with an OKC guy uh, at the beginning of the season, Brandon Raybar, I think his name is. And he was basically asking for like advice about what it, what it was going to be like to go through a process season. And I was saying, like, I, I don't know. Like, you guys are maybe going to be kind of good. Like, I, it's not as easy to be that bad as you think. When you still have a player as good as Shea Gildas Alexander, you still have guys like George Hill and Al Horford. You, you, like, it, it's it's not. You don't luck into seventy two losses in a season. You really have to go out and earn those seventy two losses. And I, it, it seemed like maybe they weren't quite prepared to do that yet. But they but they they got prepared. and They got prepared quickly, and it, it was very clear you know, once the, the knickknack injury started adding up and guys who were supposed to be out two weeks or out eight weeks. I mean, or for we've seen this movie
0: for like six months.
1: <laughs> yeah. like, like and the, we, we never did anything that bald faced, even over the course of three, very bald faced years of Sam Pinky in the process. Uh, somehow they've trumped us in this regard and they've had to, because they were starting from a stronger, uh, point than we were when we only had, uh, you know, Evan Turner and Thaddeus Young and Spencer Haas. But at this point, they're tanking. There's, there's no way around it. They they are tanking. That is a thing that they are doing. Uh Do I care? Not particularly. I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's funny that we're giving Adam Silver as much shit as we are for uh tank, you know, the, the, this Thunder theme tra- tanking so transparently and him not doing anything about it when, you know, he basically derailed the Sixers franchise uh, six years ago, but does it personally get my blood up? Not, not particularly. I think we'll most likely hear more about it in the off season. I think what, 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 uh, Adam Silver wants to do is just get through this fucking miserable season as quickly as possible and as painlessly as possible. And then once the playoffs are over and hopefully the playoffs get people feeling good about basketball again, then he'll start addressing all the myriad things that went wrong this year. And there are a lot of them and OKC is, is ba- they're basically just taking advantage of that. And that's what we did in a slightly less extreme version eight years ago. And it's what we would do again, if we were in this situation. So I, I think mean, in I, many I, I ways, think a- I think in
0: many ways, Sam Hinkie modeled what they did. I mean, you know, letting Ray Allen go, letting Richard Lewis go and trading Jeff Green. Um, they did a lot of things to make sure that they were at the top of that pick. And they assembled literally like a super team. If they had just kept it together, yeah. Serge, KD, Russ and, and Harden wins a, a couple chips,
1: I think. Um, yeah, it's, it's certainly possible. Uh, and that, and, and look, they, they are in a better shape than we were eight years ago. once, Things start going right again because they have all these million draft picks. They have Shea, who's you know miles ahead of where Michael Carter Williams was. Uh, <laughs> so that they they, they 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 add like an they add like an MB type uh, prospect in the next draft or two, and yeah, we'll, we'll be talking about them in title contention for long too, probably.
0: Yeah, I played around on Tankathon. I think there's some scenarios where they end up
1: with like two picks in the top five or something crazy. Jesus Christ! Yeah, it's, it's going to be scary. We're glad to not be in their conference for the next five years, certainly. All right. Well, we'll let's start to get out
0: of here. Is there anything that you want to plug? Is there anything you got upcoming?
1: No, I, I'll have some uh, this week on the, on the Ricky. I think I'm, I'm reading about this, this Miami game that we talked about and how uh, I hope that it kind of, you know, makes us feel some of those old feelings again. And, you know, playing against Jimmy Butler guaranteed to be some drama there. Uh, hopefully it, it kind of gets us raring. I mean, I, I think back to that, uh, to that Celtics game at the end of the 2018, 19 season, where, where Butler hit that gigantic shot against the Celtics. And then we won the fourth quarter after not having beaten them in the regular season, I think all year to that point. And man, like that, that was exactly what we needed to kind of get us, get us out of 10 going into the playoffs, even that though incredible. that, even though that series still started real off really bad against the Nets and they're booing and whatever uh, we were ready for that playoff run. And I'm hoping that this heat heat game is enough of a real game that we can still win, still feel pretty good about ourselves and just be ready for the playoffs after it.
0: On that note, from uh, from your ears to God's ears, or whatever it is, <laughs> whatever
1: the saying is, close enough.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. that'd be great. I, it would. There would be. It would be really nice to find a way to like go out with a little bit
1: of a, a high note. But and, and also, you know, uh, be- beating the magic by a combined 120 in the last two games with Isaiah Joe and Rajon Tucker going off for like 12 threes between them. That'd be that'd be good too. Tyrese uh, Max would be the same thing. High. I would take that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Let's, 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 let's pencil in all of that happening in those final two Orlando games. Let's get Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris. Like, I don't know, send them off to, I don't know, Tahiti or somewhere where they can just kind of lounge <laughs> for, for two weeks, not think about basketball and just take care of business against this, this crappy Orlando magic team and get ready for the playoffs.
0: Come back with like the Gordon Hayward tan they showed up with
1: <laughs> the Dario sunburn also yeah. would be great too. That'd be a nice look. Yeah.
0: All right, Andrew Runtsberger, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I really, really love your writing. It's hilarious and it's insightful at the same time. Uh, that's that's basically all I ask for when I uh, when I open up a piece. So <laughs> keep slinging it.
1: All right, thanks, man, and thank you so much for having me on. And uh, shout out to you and all the rest of the Liberty Ballers crew, like as i i was on a different liberty ballers podcast earlier this year and i said like yeah, y'all are, are keeping the flame burning for a very proud uh, institution in philadelphia sports media i listened and to that i really appreciate today. everything that you guys do yeah thank you thank so you so much. i no absolutely uh and and uh keep on doing what you're doing i look forward to seeing what you guys have coming up uh leading up to these playoffs and hopefully over a long playoff run emily had to call you guys
0: out um you guys were a little tough on the six. He goes, really? the one thing I did notice was Joel Embiid looks really good. Like he looks like he's in. <laughs> it was like after the third game of the well, year, they
1: <laughs> prophetic. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh we, we look, look, it was, it was a tough first three games, but it's been, a, it's been a great season <laughs> since then. And like, I, I, I do hope we don't lose sight of that. Y'all you, you have done a good job covering that part of it too, but just, it's been a fun season. You know, we talk about not having big games. That stinks. We talk about Embiid not winning MVP. That stinks too. But, I mean, first seed, winning more games uh, probably now than we ever did, even, even during the best years of the process. I think we might, we might be on part to like, tie our, our all-time high with 10 fewer games in a season. It's been unreal. Uh, if I, it I've wasn't every condensed schedule, we'd
0: have an even better winning percentage.
1: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, And without the COVID games, all that stuff, it, it's, it's, it's been awesome. So it's, it's been great to be a part of it. Thank you for having me on to talk about it, uh, wrap it up, uh, and, and hopefully let's, uh, let's do it again over the course of the playoffs. Yeah, man. Thanks so much. All right. Have a great night. Of course.
0: You too.